You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast, episode number 311. The movie industry is brutal. It is dangerous. It is, for most, soul-destroying. Creating art, music, books, films, etc. can be a beautiful and liberating thing to do. But trying to sell art? Well, that's the movie business. There's a few winners and lots and lots of losers. Ronnie Apothecar. Broadcasting from a dark, windowless room in Hollywood, when we really should be working on that next draft, it's the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast, showing you the craft and business of screenwriting while teaching you how to make your screenplay bulletproof. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Now, today's show is sponsored by Bulletproof Script Coverage. Now, unlike other script coverage services, Bulletproof Script Coverage actually focuses on the kind of project you are and the goals of the project you are. So we actually break it down by three categories, micro-budget, indie film market, and studio film. There's no reason to get coverage from a reader that's used to reading tentpole movies when your movie's going to be done for $100,000. And we wanted to focus on that at Bulletproof Script Coverage. Our readers have worked with Marvel Studios, CAA, WME, NBC, HBO, Disney, Scott Free, Warner Brothers, The Blacklist, and many, many more. So if you need your screenplay or TV script covered by professional readers, head on over to CoverMyScreenplay.com. Now today on the show, guys, we have film producer Wayne Gottfried. Now Wayne has produced over 125 independent films working with directors like Martin Scorsese, Robert Rodriguez, Jackie Chan, Joe Carnahan, Taylor Hackford, Robert De Niro, and many, many more. He has invested more than $300 million across aggregated production budgets that exceed over $1.25 billion over the last three to four years alone. Now, Wayne and I sit down and talk shop, talk about what it really takes to get your movie financed, what the marketplace is looking for, how he got into the business, and the truth of what it takes to make it in this business. So without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Wayne Gottfried. I'd like to welcome to the show Wayne Gottfried, man. How you doing, Wayne? Alex, really good to be here. Thank you so much for having me. No, thank you so much for being on the show, man. Uh, I'm excited to get into the weeds with you about... Uh, your your very interesting uh, ex- career so far in the film industry. You're a young guy. You're, we're we're of similar vintages, uh, but you know you've done a lot for a guy of your age, and uh, and what you've done in the business is pretty uh, pretty extraordinary. So, um, but before we go into all of that, how did you get into this ridiculous business? Oh wow. Um... Well, you say I'm a young guy, but yeah, I can't even remember that. So uh, no, it was, <laughs> I was fortunate enough to start as a runner. So um, I began really my whole career at um, a post company in the UK called Goldcrest, one of the uh, um, post houses in the UK. And, you know, I started one day by knocking on the door, putting my CV in, needing a job in, you know, uh, in, in London and trying to really figure out what the whole 
concept of movie making was all about and i actually was a bit of a dj back then so i was very interested in sound and the behind the scenes of uh, of finishing movies and began being a post runner at goldcrest in london and from there learned about the business of making films um and i had fantastic teachers in john quested tony murphy stephen johnson who were these old school um um you know indie film guys who were um, you know, expert teachers of showing how to take a movie, take it to a market like can, package it up and sell it to a bunch of buyers and, and actually monetize what a movie is. And this was a whole new world for me as a young kid, because mm-hmm. we just movies, you go and buy them, you didn't think about how they got there in the first place. And this was a whole new kind of education. Um, and so that's how it all began, um, really, as a runner, right from the bottom up. Now, so the, the 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 concept of like packaging a film and, and and making money with a film is so. I mean, look, the the film business is the only business in the world where you could spend a hundred million dollars on a product and it's worthless. I mean, it's the only it, like you spend a hundred million dollars on a building, you got a building. <laughs> you would think, and also a lot of a lot of um, you know kind of thought and market research and care and probably pre-selling goes into. Um, you know, identifying whether you should spend a hundred million on that building in the first place, right? Um, as opposed to maybe developing it in a little silo um, with a few <laughs> of your mates, thinking this is a great idea. Um, but no, I think I think you know there's different ends of the film spectrum. The hundred sure. million dollar blockbusters are a- immense businesses in their own right, of and um, I, I'm fortunately I'm not in that arena. Um, I've never <laughs> been in that arena. It's an amazing arena. They make amazing movies, but I'm in the the other end of the mm-hmm. arena, the sure. film end. Um, but whether it's a hundred million or a million, it's still a significant amount of money mm-hmm. that you are, I don't want to say gambling, but you are rolling the dice on really, um, you know, putting together these, these businesses and establishing whether or not can you find an audience. And that's a very interesting proposition. And, you know, I think as a producer, you're ultimately creating businesses. Every film is their own business. Right, exactly. Because, you know, you could spend a million dollars on a movie, but it's like you need when you when you build when you build a cookie, you bake a cookie for on, on the smallest spectrum. You, you you make a package of cookies. You need to find a customer base for that cookie. And generally, most human beings on the planet will enjoy that cookie because cookies are cookies. It's sugar, it's flour, it's milk and all that kind of stuff with a film. It's so more complex. And now in today's world is even more complex because, and as I'm sure you know, from the moments when you started off to today, there's a few more movies in the marketplace now. So it's been diluted with a lot of, for lack of a better word, crap um, from a lot of things that might might need to be there, might not need to be there. But even if they're all amazing films, it's still a tremendous amount of content that you're fighting for attention. So how do you kind of break through with some of your projects? Just to that point, I think the other thing to think about is you're not just competing against the new round of movies. Oh. You're competing with every movie that's ever been made ever. So and Jaws, Star available. Wars. <laughs> right? It's all available to click on a button now for free or very affordably with the streaming um, subscription model. So suddenly what we've this incredible shift in consumption that's occurred over the last few years with the the plethora of movies that are available, the catalog, as well as the new uh, content, it is incredibly competitive. Um, Mm -hmm. But that's a great opportunity as well, because 
whereas the barrier to entry was, um, you know, quite high to make mm-hmm. a movie um, and actually get distribution and get your product out there. And in some respects now, the uh, availability of resources and technology and reduction in cost of making movies has enabled really independent filmmakers to really be able to tell a story and find an audience and find a home, which wasn't so easy many, you know, five, 10 years ago. But again, the key question is how do you identify what story is the right story to make and how do you stand out in the crowd? I guess that's a, that's a key question. And unfortunately I don't have the exact answer. If I did, I <laughs> would be making a lot more of those movies. Um, but, but that's the thing. But, there's like no real, there's no real formula. Like, yeah, like a, a cookie, yeah, yeah, a cookie's a recipe. It's not hard and it's been done a million times. It's now just about maybe some nuances and marketing and packaging and things like that. Maybe some new ingredients and things. And, but movies, every movie's a, a new beast, a new thing. Look at it as, uh, Alex, like the three pillars of every movie. There are, there are, you need three pillars. Well, you don't need three, you need two. Story is the star. I don't really care how much you're spending on it, who's in it. If your story is golden, you have a chance. But it's a bit wobbly. You've only got one pillar. So you need another pillar. And that will be maybe capital, money, investment, budget. So if you had a load of money and a really good story, but no one you know in it, you've got a, you know, you've got a shot. You get that third pillar in, which is your talent, your recognizable names, your quality director, whether they're new or old. Um, you know, you've got a solid foundation of building the bricks of that house. Three pillars a foundation of a great chance of making a successful movie. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Now you move one of the pillars or two of the pillars. You had a load of money and no story and no talent. You can make it. It's a bit wobbly, but you might get it made. Similarly, you could have the best actors in the world, no story, no money, it can be challenging. So it's all about finding the right dynamic and the right, um, I guess, uh, the balance of story, talent, and capital. Right, and and well, let me ask you. So, so I get asked constantly by filmmakers about how do you get money for your movies? How do you raise financing for your films? And I, I always tell them a very similar thing to what you say, is like, you know, it all depends. And there's also the genre involved here. So there's that, there's that other pillar which is genre, because if you have all of those things and it's a drama, it's a much tougher sell um, to sell it internationally. It depends on this talent, of course. It all, that's the thing with all of this stuff. It's all variable. Like, it, like, oh, well, Meryl Streep's in it, but I've seen movies with Meryl Streep in it that don't do money in the box office, even though it's Meryl Streep and the story was good and things like that. So what advice do you have for filmmakers who are trying to raise financing for their half a million dollar budget movie or a quarter million dollar budget movie or a million dollar budget movie. What advice do you have in today's marketplace, which is pretty insane <laughs> for financing? Uh, it, is. it is, it is, it is. I mean, that's a really good question. I think it, there, there are a number of variables that one has to consider with what's the best advice for that question. So the first mm-hmm. thing is, what is the budget level? What are you trying to achieve? What are your expectations, both for you as the filmmaker and for your investors? So that's a very important thing to start with. Just like any business, you're, a movie is a business. You are starting a new company. So this new company has an objective. Make the asset and distribute it to hopefully generate a return on investment. So 
what is the most efficient way to make it? What is the right and appropriate budget level? That is a normal thing that people kind of jump over. Some movies are made too small and some movies are made too big. What is the appropriate budget level for the movie? And that is very much an equation of where is its home? Where will it land? Where do you think the best opportunity is to monetize the movie? We are in a golden age of distribution with the streamers and broadcasters, but that doesn't make it any easier to license to them or to sell to them. You still need a quality story. You still need to package it. You still need to potentially have a great execution. So, but you know that your upside is capped. You're not got that box office um, you know, uh, super sky high potential return, you pretty much have a limited or capped return when you license to a streamer because they buy it for a fixed amount of money. And it doesn't matter whether one person watches it or, you know, everyone watches it, you're pretty much getting that a fixed amount of money. So what is your expectation for the movie? What is the direction of travel? And I think um, raising capital in this market requires like i mean it's never been easy let's be honest it, it, it just it's never been easy to raise money so you have to look at in my view it's always about and i my whole approach has always been about offsetting as much risk as possible for any investor or lender entering into an investment in a film as a strategy the hat i wear has always been low risk and um and and, and kind of a Get in, get out, and do another one. And it's a different strategy. And there's no, it's not the only strategy, not the best strategy. It's just the way that my head works. I always look to pre-sell or to offset risk with any kind of quantifiable revenue stream, which may affect my upside. It may reduce the potential of the home run, but it is going to certainly reduce the, the likelihood of a wipeout. So, um, so to use that analogy, I love the home yeah. run analogy because so many filmmakers go up to bat and they're always expecting the home run. They're always expecting the box office hit. But what's not sexy is the bunt, the uh, the single, the, the, the base hits, stealing a base, pushing another yeah. man to base. At the end of the day, you have runs coming in, runs coming in. Is it as sexy every as a grand time. slam? Is it as, as sexy as a grand slam with everybody on base? No. I'm people buying t-shirts with my name on it you know and uh, maybe they want my autograph after the man, the game and i'm not i'm not really into baseball so i don't really can't really play the analogy as well as someone else could you know if it was football soccer i got it all over but right right you're absolutely right i'm the guy who's just going to get on first base every time but every time and right. as opposed to one in 20 i get a home run which will be great in that 20th but the 19 before have been hell. Now, it's okay almost if one in 20 covers the cost of the 19 before, because if that's a strategy, a portfolio approach where we'll put in X amount of money in seven movies on the basis that one or two will hit, the rest might not, but the one or two will cover in spades all the other uh, investments, that's okay as well. It's just not really how my head works. So I've always gone for the ones, the singles, get in, get out, get our money back and go again. And and that's one of the reasons I think that, you know, I've had a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of movies that I've been yeah, involved yeah, in. Yeah, it's an obscene uh, amount. It's an obscene amount of movies you've made. <laughs> because I, I don't have that kind of, um, you know, that emotional attachment to these movies. And while I'm in them, they're still my babies. Don't get me wrong. I love them. But they're not about... Um, 
you know, nurturing this little child to fruition forever and then living with it and never letting it leave the house and, you know, staying till they're a teenager and thinking, God, is it ever going to leave? You know, I'm kind of like, get out the house, go, move on, <laughs> on another one. Um, <laughs> no, I, I completely understand. And, and, um, but I have to ask you because, I, I, you know, my show and, and I've been known to, you know, talk about uh, the darker side of distribution, which is the predatory distribution I've companies. I've heard some of your thoughts. You've, yeah, you've heard some of my thoughts? Okay. So, yes, yes you've heard of some, a few of them. So I was also listening to your, your fantastic audio book. Uh, oh, as well. Oh, really interesting. Oh, thank you. Which, which the one? The talk about the hustle. Oh, the, the film latest tri- one that you're promoting. The I, I, I'm film entrepreneur. The film entrepreneur. Yes, film. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> it's terrific. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Uh, but so, so, I'm assuming with 125 plus projects you've done, you have been paid on time, perfectly from every single deal you've ever made from every oh, distributor. I mean, literally, sometimes they just send me money. I don't even ask for it. It's absolute <laughs> pleasure. It's a pleasure. So if anyone listening, there's a lot of sarcasm right now running in the room. Uh, so so how do you, what are your experiences when, and I'm assuming early on in your career, probably, I don't know if you still run into these problems now, but um, but earlier in your career, I'm sure you had to deal with issues like this. And I'm sure you probably dealt it throughout your career. Yeah, and it's not an issue that is, um, you know, isolated to any one individual. It's just the way the industry works. You know, as you've said, and I hear you talk about it, we live in a very opaque industry um, with studio accounting. I know you use that reference. uh, Hollywood accounting, Hollywood accounting, yeah. Hollywood accounting. Um, And, you know, uh, I mean, we'll talk about it soon, hopefully. But, you know, one of the kind of drivers of of, of starting Purely, my, Mm -hmm. my, my latest company, was because of my frustration with the lack of transparency mm. and the opaque reporting and the kind of well just the 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 <laughs> we're dealing with millions of dollars of assets as you talked about at the beginning high risk ventures that require millions of dollars of investment you spend years developing and making projects, living with them every minute of the day, and then you hand them over to a distributor and you don't hear anything for months, if not years. And then you get a one-page statement that's your report that says nothing with like a few lines that has no detail. And you're thinking, I spent eight years of my life making this thing and this is what I get? Yeah, exactly. and, 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 and it doesn't make sense. Nothing makes sense. And it drives you mad. And so, yes, I have a little bee in my bonnet about the um, quality of reporting. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't some fantastic distributors Agreed. who Agreed. are honest and respectable and communicate. Yes. And there are. And I've worked with a lot of them. And they are fantastic. And, you know, I always try and gravitate to those sorts of individuals in all walks of business life because mm-hmm. people that communicate well in good, bad, or indifferent tend to be good people to work with. Mm-hmm. Even if it's bad news, you're hearing about it. Um, it's a difficult, difficult thing. And I appreciate as well that if you're juggling a lot of distributions and lots of different films and reporting that comes from all these different sources are not instantaneous. So getting transparent reporting, not even just distributor, but from the various retailers or sources of distribution are all very 
bitty, complicated, different formats, blah, 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 blah. It's hard. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. It's complicated. So I, I acknowledge that, but there has to be a better way. And um, likewise, as, as creators, as um, participants within a movie, uh, whether you're, you know, an actor, writer, director, costume, uh, you know, if you have a participation, it should, you should have a, um, in my view, anyway, a regular and transparent view on how that asset is performing. And, you know, you find about things so late, Alex, that you know you can't do anything to change the life cycle of that asset. What's the point of getting a report nine months after the release to be told it didn't quite work in this way because the marketing wasn't very good? If it was, if you knew about it in real time, you might be able to do something about it. Hell, you might not. In real time, just to, like just within thirty days. Within thirty days, yeah. it would be nice. <laughs> So Purely actually was, um, you know, one of the things that Purely kind of my company, Purely Capital, was, um, you know, really came out of this idea that we deserve better transparency. We deserve a, a, a system where you can see how your assets are and be, you know, you know, less opaque and more open and be more inclusive with all the beneficiaries around an asset within reason, of course. Right, exactly. And so uh, with within Purely, uh, Purely, so how, explain what uh, Purely uh, Capital is and what it what it's doing and how it's kind of changing the game a little bit for, for distributor, for, for, for filmmakers. Well, um, one of the challenges in this uh, changing face of consumption is we are licensing content increasingly to streaming platforms um and you may or may not be familiar or your listeners may or may not be familiar that actually when you license to the likes of netflix amazon disney sky in the uk viacom comcast all of these guys they pay you a license fee but typically over two to five years so you can end up with quarterly payments contracted payments that take quite a long time to get paid and that is killer if you've gone and raised that half a million two million bucks to make that indie film you know you've, you've you've slogged to do that you know how hard it is to raise that money but you've achieved that goal you've made that film you've then done the the holy thing of selling it licensing it to netflix amazon disney whatever you're winning and then you decide and here you've got to wait 36 months to get paid it's like oh this is hard work so purely was designed to basically completely accelerate that. So we basically give you the money today and we wait the 36 months for Netflix, Amazon, Disney to pay. So we crystallize that contracted income as soon as you've contracted with that um, SPOD platform or broadcaster and we accelerate the money to your bank account today. So you can refinance your investors, you can go and make your next movie. If you're a distributor, you can go and buy more assets. So to basically keep those businesses, keep these people moving so they don't have to keep waiting for long dated contracted revenues. And that was that's what Purely is all about. That, and that's brilliant because I've heard this. I've heard the same stories from from partners of mine who who've sold to Netflix and 
and and to all the streamers and you're know, like okay we got a hundred thousand great yeah they're gonna start paying at the end of year two uh and and it's gonna be over the next four years and it's gonna like trickle in little by little so that hundred grand will essentially be maybe ten to fifteen thousand a quarter or something along those lines and you're just like you're, you'll right. grow old before you get all the money and it's like oh my god this is brutal and it's like you you write that email to your investors like hey congratulations <laughs> right. to netflix and like, oh, by the way i can't pay you for three years it's like oh what a what a what a bummer so you know i i witnessed this problem firsthand you know we had the great and you know it is a great you know achievement and feeling when you license to um a great home and 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 this is not critical on the business models of Netflix, Amazon, Disney. You know, we understand that they have to spend and they are spending billions of dollars on content to serve their global consumers uh, and, and subscribers with amazing amounts of content. So if you're lucky enough to be selected and chosen, it's brilliant. But waiting for money just is a pain. It doesn't matter what walk of life, you know, you don't want to chase money. You don't want to wait for it. And, and that's what we're trying to solve and trying to find a way to do that in, with technology with efficiency, with a standardized approach that creates a, uh, it, it's super easy for any rights owner, producer, or distributor to just crystallize that revenue stream. And it doesn't matter if it's a hundred grand, you know, we can do, you know, small amounts of money all the way up to significant millions of dollars at a time. Right. And then I'm assuming you take a percentage or like, where's, where's the rub yeah, as far as you eat. I mean, come yeah, on. Exactly. So, but, but the service, yeah, we do, we do a little discount. It's very competitive. It's bank pricing, but yes, sure. we discount money. So we give you 95 cents on the dollar type thing. Right. Which I mean, I'll, it, it right. It That's the difference. So like, okay, you can wait three or four years or I could, I could pay you 5% and I have it all now. Yeah. Essentially. Effectively, exactly. whatever that way. Yeah, it's something small. And and then now you're like, okay, great. So now I have that hundred grand. I can then repay my financiers and my investors. And now they're happy because they got their money back. And they're like, hey, can I can I do another one? Can I? Yeah. Because I promise you, you, if you if you call them up and go, hey, I'm waiting for three years for my for uh, you have to pay you. Oh yeah, I have this other project. They're gonna go. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> yeah. Or, or or could we win the money's back in three years if you still have the project? You know. Right. So that's it. But, but you know, these, these are real world problems. Cash flow is a real world problem. And also the time cost of money. The money in your hand today is worth more than it is in three years time because you can do things with it. You can make more films. You can make more money from it. So, you know, we, you know, we're trying to help. But there's more to it than that, Alex. And, and, and this alludes to the hunt of transparency and opaque nature reporting. The whole system is fully transparent. So, one of the strategies we're developing in the verticals is to plug in all your revenue streams and provide an instant kind of real-time reporting system for films, not just from the distributor, but from the ultimate retailer. So you can see how your assets are performing in real time and then disperse to your beneficiaries also in real time, any collected revenue. So really trying to change this idea of having to wait weeks and months for money but also reporting in information and trying to give it in the palm of your hand on your iphone or your samsung wherever you are in the world you can be like oh this is we're doing our you know we did we solved you know a thousand units today or or whatever mm -hmm. that's fantastic and also i wanted to ask you so with with where do you see streaming going because and vod in, in general because i mean there's basically the three categories svod tvod and avod uh avod is a very strong 
uh, place right now for independent film. It's where I see the most revenue being generated for the lower end movies that don't have big stars in it. Um, SVOD, obviously, if you can get the SVOD deals, amazing. If you can get a Netflix deal and a buy, you know, or a Hulu, nice, nice chunk, awesome. TVOD, unless you drive traffic, is pretty much dead in my opinion, or has a star involved. Like if you have a star involved, that means people like, you know, if you got John Travolta throw by or Bruce Willis go by, people will probably rent it because of them. But if you don't have that star and you can't drive traffic, TVOD is essentially a dead issue as opposed to where it was 10, 15 years ago. Do you agree? I, I, I have to agree. I think, I think, I think, as you said, streaming is, uh, SPOD uh, is, is the holy grail. If you can get a license on a, st- a streamer that will pay you up front or even over two, three years, great. Um, transactional and AVOD are a lot more challenging to quantify value. And with transactional, because of the plethora of free content available on AVOD and through AVOD, and yes, it's not free, you have to watch ads, but you know, in terms of the consumer spend, it, 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 it's time as opposed to cash um, that they're spending. It, 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 in my opinion, it's harder and harder to justify the $4.99 or $7.99 or $9.99 acquisition of a rental or purchase of a movie. The commodity of owning an asset, a movie, um, I think it, with the younger generation, certainly just doesn't, there's no value to it. Having the box set, I mean, I used to have racks of box sets and physical every, media, my yeah. alphabetical order, every movie, Dude, I used I had- to go to. Well, you know, Dude, I had I had my I had my color coordinated by studio. <laughs> wow! <laughs> and they were all VHS, and they were all VHS. <laughs> so I was DVD. I was I'm yeah, obviously yeah. a little younger than you. So I, I, I had DVD it. too. I'm not that much older than you, but I, yes. I know, but, okay, so I was DVD, but I I mean, and there was like you know so much joy of picking up the DVD, looking you know watching the box sets. The special features, audio commentary, and, and then yeah. seeing them on the wall, like seeing them, the racks, and I did it with CDs as well. I had, I mean, it was like my thing. I was almost a bit obsessive. I loved it. Um, we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Now, I mean, if I have any, I mean, like I'm like. I can't have anything physical, you know? I can't have paper. I don't like anything. <laughs> Everything's got to go. <laughs> so, you know, it's a, such a different mindset. So, and to me, the idea of renting or purchasing something where it feels like it could be or should be available on a uh, on one of the many subscription platforms or Avod, I think it's harder. But I think niche content and where there's niche audiences, there is going to be a world for, for um, you know, clever targeted marketing to be able to drive transactional revenues. Pricing is also a really key thing. You know, we look at transactional, it's actually, I think, probably overpriced and maybe with the reduction of rental and purchase uh, as, 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 a, as a price point, that could also maintain the lifespan of a transactional opportunity. But discovery is the key, Alex. I mean, how do you find this stuff? As we said, everything is available. Everything. Every movie ever made ever. Is available. So, how do you how do you stand out in that crowd? And marketing, discovery, influencers, you know, being able to, you know, market or identify your audience and communicate with them. That's going to be critical. Yeah, and as filmmakers, I think I've been well. You've you've been reading my book. It's about finding that niche 
that niche yes. audience, creating product for that niche, creating ancillary revenue streams from that movie, all these other things that you can do. I think that is the future for indie indie you, filmmakers. It made me feel like um, a, a musician. When you were talking like that and when you talk about it in the book, it made me feel like how does an indie artist build a career and is a musician in this world? I don't think it's too different to an indie filmmaker. You need to build that fan base, that can, that that audience that can travel with you and grow with you. And just like a great indie artist can have a fantastic life and career, putting some music out, going gigging, selling some merch, doing some live appearances, and have a lovely and and, and you know a pretty good life as long as they build the, you know enough momentum. An indie filmmaker can do exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And then look at the look at the brands that we follow. I mean, Edgar Wright or Scorsese or Spielberg. Now, mind you, most of those names I just mentioned were built in a different times and, and they were they were basically marketed for free by the studios. <laughs> so they they were able to build their brands off the back of the studios. But there's a lot of independent filmmakers coming up now who and, and again, you don't need millions. You just need a core group that love what you do and you make products that for a certain price, sell it to them, act, give them access to those films and you could do it again and again. I've had people like that on my show who've done like 20 movies in the range of from $5,000 movies to $150,000 movies, even sometimes up to half a million dollars and they have the same audience following them and they just, and they just keep going and they've built their careers like that. That is the Brilliant. future, but that is, but that's work. And a lot of independent filmmakers want to live in the dream world where Spielberg and Scorsese came up in. And that's not the real world anymore, man. It's not. Yeah. I, you say that, but then, you know, you can go and make a really good little indie film and end up with a, you know, a Marvel movie. So yes. you, know, you, you can, you can get plucked out of this little indie pond and put into the sea. It's very, um, you it's, know, you, but that's, but that's the lottery ticket. That's the lottery yeah, that ticket. Is, that is, it's, it's not, a, it's not, it's, yeah. you're talking about one in a million, one in 2 million filmmakers get that opportunity. And I've had other, like I've had, I always talk about the nineties and the, the basically independent film as we know it today started in the nineties. There was independent films in the sixties, seventies, eighties, of course, but nineties is what we as a, as a society really under kind of grasp independent filmmakers started with the Sundance movement. So with the Richard Linkletters and the Robert Rodriguez's and the Kevin Smith's and all those kind of guys. And I've had the pleasure of speaking to some of these guys and I talk to them now and I go, so slacker, would it, would it pop today? You know, yeah. would brothers, Mc, would brothers McMullen pop today? And I, when I talked to Ed, Ed was like, yeah, probably not. It was, the, it was a time, right place, right time, right movie. hundred percent. And you know, um, um, you know, I think that's a fast, that is a such, um, that's the luck, right? Oh yeah, but right, right place, right time, right product. Yeah. In all walks of life, in any business, in any environment, you know, in any industry, it's about right time, right place, right opportunity, right person, right hustle. Um, you know, I mean, my first job, going back to it, you know, like I was late one day, something happened because I was stayed late at the office. I, if I, if I, I worked for, um, this chap called Nick Quested, a fantastic filmmaker in New York. And I was in New York. I'd been in New York before. I didn't know anyone. So I'm in the office late on my own. And then the phone rings. They got a music video. No one's around. I'm helping write this thing. It it pops. 
is that luck? Is that hustle? Is that the right timing? Is that because I didn't know anyone in a city, so I ended up being in this, you know, like, what are all the variables that had to happen for that to happen? And you, you go back and think in all aspects of anything that was positive, <clears throat> ultimately it goes back to that story is the star. Start with a great story. You've got everything going for you. It's never easy. Every movie, doesn't matter what the budget is, how lucky you are to get the right actor, director, it's hard. There are problems on everyone. And you just got to navigate your way through and conduct all the different components. I mean, this is what I see myself as, as a producer, a conductor. Mm-hmm. You're conducting all the various moving pieces in this orchestra of a film to try and be hopefully playing the same song in harmony. Yeah, and it's it's not easy at all. No, being a producer, and you know, being a producer at the indie level is it has its own set of um, issues and and challenges. Uh, you know, when you're working on a fifty thousand dollar movie, which a lot of people are like, how can you make a movie for fifty thousand bucks? I'm like, I made a movie for five grand and sold it to Hulu, so it's possible. Um, but I, it, I mean, that's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't, I didn't, I wouldn't know how to do that. I, it's right. not my it's a, it's a different, to... it's a different skill set. No question. Now you throw yeah. me in a $200 million project. I'd be like, I probably need some help here, guys. This is not the yeah. world. I'm, you know, this is a whole other conversation. You have you know? a lot more money, but that also could mean a lot more problems. No. And, and also that's just a different mentality, a different way. It's a different kind of organization, the politics involved, how to work with people. It's a whole other conversation. Um, but, you know, depending on which, what kind of um, projects you're working on creates different um the budget levels create different kind of challenges so you were talking about being an orchestra you've worked with some pretty remarkable filmmakers over over your career like like martin scorsese rob reiner werner herzog taylor hackford how do you conduct <laughs> scorsese or herzog like how do you like, i'm not saying you're like telling them what to do or anything but how do you kind of work within that kind of uh, that kind of, I mean, these guys, when they walk in a room, their entire catalog walks in a room with them. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, I mean, you mentioned some of the greatest filmmakers that, you know, have ever existed. And <laughs> you don't, you don't, you, you know, filmmaking is a collaboration. Right. Um, and right. when you're working with incredible talent, uh, you know, I'm I, I'm I'm never the one to put my hand up and say, this is how you do it. Right. Um, especially when I have no clue. Um, I'm not a director. I don't have that skill set. I tried, made a couple of short films. They weren't very good. And I realized quickly that that wasn't my skill set. Um, <laughs> I love the concept of storytelling. I love the ideas and the generation. I love throwing ideas in the pot. But you're not going to tell specialists and experts what they do. In the same way, I wouldn't tell a doctor What's wrong with me? Because he's the expert. <laughs> but I went so to I but I went to WebMD. What are you talking about? Went to WebMD.com. I looked it up. Doc, I need this. <laughs> Google Doc. Google Doc. <laughs> so, um, no, I, I and, and in my role as a producer, I'm typically coming in as a financier. So my role is really specific. I help get these films made. I help put them together. But I'm not the guy on the on the on the Front floor line. of production yeah. over the over the shoulder of the director giving him a nod like mm, you know what about that angle like firstly no one does that with some of the time we're talking about but it's just not who i am i am the deal guy i'm the guy that helps figure out how to put this together how do you how do you fit this square peg in the round hole with the amount of available resources we have 
or the challenges we have and you know getting it in getting it in that hole and getting that hopefully nice and cohesive flowing um relationship between all the parties so um you know the relationship i had with some of these directors is is honestly in some cases very hands off very uh, polite and wishing them very well um and in some of the ones it has been a bit more intimate it does depend very much on the relationship and the challenges and the compromises needing to be made by production we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor and now back to the show because the relationship, I believe, between producer and director is that collaborative, um, um, you know, you have to share a shared vision, but mm-hmm. sometimes you have different forces. The producer is dealing with strains of capital, money, investors, shareholders, distributors, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And the director is pushing for his vision, that creative, um, that creative force. And sometimes, even where the best one in the world they're not always aligned, um, <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> they're not always aligned. So it's about how do you navigate that workplace? How do you navigate that uh, political, uh, you know, uh, it's egos, um, personalities, and also knowing when to shut up and be <laughs> like, this isn't the time, the place, and I'm not the guy. To, to to say anything here because it's not going to make anything better right. um, and try and fix problems. And, you know, producing is problem solving. Producing is finding the problem and identifying it hopefully early and solving it before it's even a problem for someone else. That's a great, great definition of what a producer does because <laughs> it's producing is such just like kind of nebulous thing. You're like, because anyone can call themselves a producer. You don't have to go to seven years of school to have, you know, PGA at the end of your oh. uh, at the end of your name as a producer or something like that to like you're a producer. Anybody. And trust me, I, I live in L.A., so everybody's a producer here and everybody walks up and they give you a business card. And I'm like, hey, I'm a producer. I have, I have various projects in multiple stages of development. Uh, of, course. And, of course you do. Uh, and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, you know, I'm guys, sure that all- I'm sure. And I'm sure they're all fantastic. And it goes, yeah, we've been talking to, uh, we've been talking to Marty about this thing. I'm like, I'm sure you have. Uh, (laughs) What have you done before? What have you done before? What have you done before? I've done two shorts. I'm like, that seems like a solid business plan, but um, (laughs) that's just the business. Problem solving, problem solving. And, you know, part of the first problem is, you know, how do I get this in the hands of someone that could actually pay for it, be in it, uh, direct it? You know, that's the first problem, right? Problem so, number one is. So how do you, so how do you develop a project from scratch? How do you, how do you approach that problem? And as, I mean, cause some movies, I think you're, look, you're, you're a producer on, uh, and then yes. some of your executive producers on. So some right. more financiers, some more. Most executive, which is where I'm more involved, as I say, in the financial arrangements and structuring and hopefully deal gathering side. Mm-hmm. But I have, um, you know, done a number of producing from scratch, like The Foreigner, my, my uh, film yeah. with Jackie Chan, Martin Campbell, um, was a book that I um, optioned for, called The Chinaman by Stephen Leather, which I was given by my late father to read when I was a, a young boy who didn't read. Another thing that, you know, great life lesson, read. Read a lot. Yeah. Read a lot, read everything, understand what people are making and why they're getting made. I mean, like it's all there for you. You know, anyone who says to me, oh, I don't understand. I got this stuff. It's not, no one's liking it. And they don't read or look at why the things that are getting made are getting made and what were the things that made that happen. But 
So yes, um, I have developed a number of things from scratch. And the, for, um, the foreigner, if you remind me, the foreigner is the one with um, who else was in it besides Jackie? Uh, Jackie Chan, Pierce Brosnan. That's, I did see, uh, I, 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 that's what I thought. Yeah, I love that film. Loved it. I love that film. Yeah, Jackie was amazing. Jackie was amazing, amazing in that film. It was, it was what is it? What is it? Like your friend David Marconi, uh, directed by Martin Campbell, who made two Bond movies. Yeah. Um, so so how we, do you, so look Jackie. Journey. So Jackie's a legend, man. Like he's like a legend. a legend. Like he's so legendary. How was it working with Jackie on set? Like, because you were a producer on that, so you you were on well, set I, with that. I was, so, I was PGA, whatever that means. Yeah, whatever that thing. Yeah, exactly. So how how was it working with? I mean, a genius. I mean, he's I mean, a genius. He is. He is. He is the hardest working and just most unbelievable talent. And Martin Campbell. Who oh, amazing! I love Martin. Tough. Oh unbelievable director but he he you know he puts actors through their paces he you know again 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 and he knows what he wants and how he wants it and he doesn't stop until he gets it and working with uh you know people like jackie and 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 peers it's just amazing to be around such incredible talent and these guys have made movies for so many years they uh, and when you look at action and the way that jackie um, you know, architects a fight team and creates that with the stunt crew and with the director, with the idea of the vision of the movie and how the action inter interrelates. It's incredible to see. And is he, is he still it's doing inspiring. The energy is inspiring. You know, it keeps you going. You look at when a 65 year old, you know, incredible talent is got the energy and is up and is glowing like that. You know, it makes it lifts everyone around you. Is he still doing his stunts? He is. God, not cheap. Yeah, he's doing them. He's nuts. He is the man. And you know what? He's not just doing them. He, you know, the, the, you, you create. You know, you're designing the sequences and the fight. You know, really? the fights are as well, which is just so much work and the meticulous attention to detail that goes into everything you see is exceptional. It blew my mind. It absolutely blew my mind. Wow, um, that that, that must be amazing people um and the whole crew that go with him you know the, his oh family. no yeah i heard i've heard yeah his it's legendary his it's team just amazing amazing yeah it's uh, it's remarkable now one thing i wanted to ask you as a financier because this is the biggest dilemma filmmakers have when they're packaging a project it's the chicken and egg dilemma I, oh my god i need cast before i can get money but i need money to get cast how do you do it yeah i mean <laughs> Fake it till you make it. Um, no, I don't. Um, it's really hard. It's super hard. Um, you know, even when you've made a bunch of movies, the difference is when you say you can fund or you can pay someone something, you know, there's a little more, more believability in it maybe sure. now for me. Sure. So if I'm calling an agent or an actor and saying, listen, we'd like to make an offer and, you know, this is what we can pay, you know, I'm only doing that knowing that I can deliver that. Um, you know, obviously, when you're starting, you may it's the chicken egg. You know that if you're able to land X actor, the finances will come rolling. It's really hard. I mean, increasingly, um, it's I guess it's getting even harder because the competition with film and TV as well now. And um, uh, yeah, it's. I wish I had an answer for you. The only thing I can say is um, the. Great stories rise to the top. Actors yeah. gravitate towards great roles, great parts, and great stories. And so, 
you, ha- in my view, you have to, if you can't afford the number, you have to position the project as a must-do project. It's not about the money. Now, that won't be music to the agent's ears, but for the actor who may be getting, you know, a dozen opportunities a month or more, they want to do things that are going to move their, you know, their career forward or move their... Their value. Uh, yeah, their value as their an value. actor. But even just their, 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 their interests. And so think about who you're going after and why this part, this role, this movie means will mean something to them because you can't just dangle the check that's going to make them pay attention. It's got to be centered around the part and the role. And, 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 and I think dressing up offers with really personalized letters and visions from the director, um, because ultimately the director's vision is key when approaching talent. And so, you know, really be creative about how you position your movie and the opportunity to the actor. Do a video of the director talking to the actor like he's in the room, pitching the role. Is he more likely to watch a three minute video or read your email and script? Maybe he might just read the three, he might watch the three minute video. I don't know, maybe not, but it might stand out over the email. It might stand out over the whole script. So get them into the story, get them looking at the part and fake it. You know, the money's good. We got the money. It's coming. We got it. Now, there's so many, you know, and I run this, I ran into this so much in my career, uh, and I was this early on in my career, you probably were a little bit as well, is the delusional factor, where you are like, like that guy I was just making it fun of, like, I was like, oh, yeah, I got this card, I'm a producer, and I'm, yeah, I'm talking to Marty, and like, there's this delusional factor, and there's a lot of this goes on, and some of it is very conscious, like, I'm, I'm just trying to boast myself up, fake it till you make it kind of scenarios, and then there's, People who really, truly are delusional, like completely delusional about like, I'm going to pick, I've had conversations. Yeah, we're pitching this to Tom Cruise. I'm like, are you, are you, are you crazy? Like, that's like, on. like are you, time. why, like, but that, but that's the delusion. Like, oh, he's, this is the part for him. It's going to be the thing. And I'm like, guys, look, look at the track record. <laughs> I say that, but when I started, I was 25 years old mm-hmm. and I approached Jackie Chan to be in a movie. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. That had no money, really. It had nothing. And, but I knew, you know, I had a 65-year-old Asian lead that there was only really four or five actors in the world that could play this part. And he was number one. He was number one. And so you knock on the door and you try. And actually, I should tell you, the first time, it was a no. It took time and tenacity and hustle and staying with it and also talking to Donnie Yen and Andy Lau and Chow Yun-Fat and going through the process to eventually have all the right things in place to then end up closing the deal. How many years did that take? How many years did that take? From first uh, trying to attack, because we took a few years to write and adapt the book to the script, because um, I was, again, I had no money. And I had a, an amazing writer in David Marconi who wrote Enemy of the State, Mission Impossible 2, um, you know, a fantastic array of movies. And he wanted being paid, which is not unreasonable. Um, but I had to kind of piecemeal it together. So that took a couple of years. But by the time we finally started the journey of packaging, I think it took about three years. 
to from the from the moment you started to the moment you attached Jackie? From the moment I had a script I could go out with. Right. And then how long did it take you f before from beginning of the project to the very end when you're shooting? Seven years. Seven years. Okay. So I don't consider that delusional. I you're, you're you're going for it at that point, and then you actually are creating things that make that happen, as opposed to here's a script, Tom Cruise. You should understand that I'm a genius, and you need to work with me. That's the delusion, and I'm sure you've run into these guys. <laughs> no, I mean I'm probably one of these guys, right? Because at times, <laughs> but it works, right? But no, you're right, and and and, and I think that you remember earlier we were talking about what is the right. Uh, you know, um, framework for this movie. It's the same as distribution. It's the same as talent. It's the same as amount of money you're raising. Don't raise a million dollar movie and try and get Tom Hardy. I mean, it's never going to work. You know, it's not the right fit. Go and get the best person in that kind of category of budget and, and, and everything. Because just having a major star on a movie has its costs that come with it. Let alone the fee for them. There is a certain amount of costs that come with just having major talent along yep. with a movie yep and that, that's you know just because you've got a little bit of money isn't always enough so i think it is always about positioning yourself with the right and approach that doesn't mean you shouldn't aim high that doesn't mean you shouldn't have aspirations mm -hmm. to go for the best correct and that doesn't mean you shouldn't try and hustle but there is a there is a if you if you're trying to make uh, you know as you say hits at the biggest and the best you know a you got to be prepared to wait a long time a long time because you got to be patient when you're dealing with people that are the best in an industry in any industry they're busy they're good at what they do they're going to be busy you are not a priority so if you're happy to wait then great but there's pressure with waiting and you know it's, it, 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 it eats it eats you. <laughs> So you've right. got to be doing a lot of things, juggling a lot of balls, or manage your expectations. Be real. Be practical and get it. And my view would be, isn't it worth just getting this made and making another one and another one? And maybe in three or four movies, because you've gone from 2 million to 5 million to 9 million to 50 million, now you're doing the 40 million film with Tom Cruise. Well, Tom, Tom's not doing 40 million, but... <laughs> <laughs> but you in and say hi. He might, he might, he might come in and say hi. Yeah, absolutely. depends on who the director is, and you never know. I know, of course, of course. No, of course, of course. Um, now, uh, do you do you would you recommend reaching out to actors directly through their through their production companies and seeing if that's an angle of like bringing them into the financial, bringing them into. As a producer, because that might be more appetizing, as opposed to just going directly through agents. I, absolutely, I would be trying every angle possible to try and um, position myself as a project that should be on the radar of the target actor, whether it be through their production entity, through their agent, through their management, through the guy that's the valet at the best restaurant they go to. If there is a route in. You gotta try and navigate. That's the hustle, right, Alex? It's about getting <laughs> in the door. Okay, I've got. I was involved in a film called War with Grandpa, yeah, um, and it's um, fantastic story. And the producer of that film um, had the best hustle story of how he got the script to De Niro, mm -hmm. and he just was relentless and wouldn't accept no. And then he would 
you know, leave them everywhere and hand them to everyone around him. And ultimately, eventually, De Niro read it, needed, you know, basically engaged in the project, although there was a lot of work that had to be done before he attached. But it got through a process and boom, he's in the film. His number one choice. Was it easy? No. Did he hustle it? Yes. It was commendable. And I, I find that those stories are inspiring. They, they make me feel like great about life because you're like, yes, there is a way. You don't have to always have, you know, buckets of cash and, you know, be perfect. You can do it. And it isn't easy. But yes, of course, if you feel, but, but, but going smart, look at what the slate is. Look at what they gravitate towards. Don't go and send uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's production company something that, that he would never gravitate towards and they've never made, they've never associated with. Do your homework, research, understand what these businesses and people are, are, are doing and making. And it's not always easy, but there is so much information available on the web and there's so much access to information now that the more prepared you can be to go in to engage with anyone, director, producer, financier, do your homework. Now, you mentioned something a little bit ago, which I really doesn't get talked about as much. But if you're lucky enough to get one of these guys or gals who come onto your show, a, 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 a named talent, you're like, great, I, I, I raised a million dollars and I'm paying X star to show up for five days for a million dollars. And you're like solid. But then you forget that with that, they're not going to sit in a chair and drink, you know, Kool-Aid. Like you, you got to get them a trailer. There's going to probably be an entourage. There's going to probably be. So there's cost involved. And I've seen other producers that are like, oh, we weren't ready for this. It killed, it killed our budget because, you know, Nick Cage showed up. Not saying that's Nick Cage, but Nick Cage showed up. Someone like Nick Cage showed up. He's like, I need, what's, what's my trailer? What is that? I can't go in that. Like yeah. you, all these I mean, things that you're not aware of. Uh, you're absolutely right. And look, everyone is different. And, oh, of course. You know, fair to generalize, but but there is an associated and an expected level of- Professionalism. Um, professionalism and support. You know, you don't change in the back of a room where there's a little curtain if you are, you know, uh, in the middle of nowhere, you, you need a private place with a, you know, with a place for them to, you know, have, you know, do what they do to do, get in the zone prep. Um, yeah, a hundred percent. The, the, you know, the, the, the support and the uh, budgeting requirements that go with any major talent um, is often under thought of in independent film production. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yes. and 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 it's a it's it's a shame because you know in some respects it's like well it seems like a waste but it's not you you can't look at it like that it's about professionalism and trust me they will feel better they will come on set you know free ready to work ready to bear you know do what you want them to do in the best in the best shape and the the challenge comes i find not always about you know, packaging for the, the the major star that's coming, but then how that um, you know that affects the rest of the of the cast and the rest of the crew who may, you know what I mean? Like, because you're like, okay, well, we throw all the bells and whistles out for so and so, and then the rest of you, you're in there, mate. You know, you're in the the, the big the, the bus. We got a bus for you. All of you can sit in the bus. It's, it's great. It's warm. It's not air conditioned. It's not air conditioned. Though. It's not air. <laughs> It's not like it's just, but there's fans. We got fans. 
Um, you got you got brown bag lunches so uh, while he's eating. I think yeah. it's, about, it's about thinking about the overall. And, and the other thing is just have a conversation. Again, communication is key. The biggest mistake to make is just assume it will be okay. That's the mistake. <laughs> it's okay to say, listen, we don't have the budget for this. We would, we're going to make you as comfortable as possible. This is our proposal. This is how we're going to do it. Is that going to be okay? Um, we can give a bit here, but we can't do that. Communicate, communicate, communicate. As soon as you just assume, well, they'll turn up, but we'll, we'll, we'll be all right. I'll deal we'll with figure it, it out. Day. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Yeah. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. That's where the problems happen. That's when you get people with their backup and you're off to a bad start. Right. And, um, yeah, that's the thing that a lot of people don't talk about either. It's just the the politics of all of this. This is psychology. This is human behavior. You're 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 being almost a politician on how to negotiate egos and and agendas. And you know, maybe they had a bad night the night before, and how you have to deal with that. Like I always ask my hairdressers and my hair my hair my hair and makeup department. I'm like, how how are they doing? Because yeah, they're the first ones to hear. What happened? Right. They're the first ones to hear what happened the night before. Like, oh, I had a fight with my girlfriend or, oh, my boyfriend cheated on me. Like, okay, oh, you want to know these things before they step on set. So I always ask my hair and makeup department, that kind of stuff. But that is so something just, that, so, so how do you, you know. You can get it driver as well. You know, yeah, the pickup the, driver, you know, they're always great. <laughs> was he talkative on the way in this morning? Was you know, he, did she have a coffee? <laughs> And this is, but this is this is the weird and it's just just an insane world that we live in in movie in the movie business where our entire you know hundreds of thousands of dollars of that millions of dollars on the day are riding on did they have their coffee <laughs> sometimes you know you're 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 throwing together a you know a collective of personalities and experiences in one go and hoping it all gels together to make this magic right. and sometimes comes together and it's beautiful and everyone's like you're my best friends i will love you forever and you know i'm gonna see you at my wedding um and others you're like i never want to hear from you again please don't call i don't care how good the job is i'm not interested um you're a nightmare and so yeah you know it's it's a complete concoction um and you know even when you do the you know every film's different and that's also awesome as well that's one of the most magical things about what we do and how and the world we're in is that you meet amazing people and you you work with amazing people who are brilliant what they do and but sometimes it clicks and sometimes it doesn't and the personalities arriving and the, where all the eyes are focusing and all the attention is focusing can gel together beautifully and they can be really um not um and managing those situations is also a really important job of the director and potentially the producers as well to really hope for the best result because it's one thing coming and doing the job mm-hmm. reading the lines turning up you know putting in a good day's work but it's another thing coming and like shining in that day and and as a filmmaker and as a producer as an owner of a business and an asset you want everyone to shine um so how do you create a working environment to nurture that and support that um and encourage it and that's why i love that you keep saying business and asset uh 
because it's something I've been yelling from the top of the mountains for a long time. And filmmakers a lot of times get caught up with the magic of it's it's art, it's story. And we are in this this crossroads between business, it's show and business. And and as a producer friend of mine mm-hmm. says, and as, as a producer friend of mine says, the word business has twice as many letters as the word show, and there's a reason. Uh, so because it, it is this art form mixed with business and a lot of the artists just want to focus on the art and the business want to f- focus on the business. And we have to find this happy balance, happy medium. But you have to, as a filmmaker, keep thinking, this is a business first. We're creating an art form within the, the realm of a business, of an asset that is going to be sold in the marketplace. And you have to think that way. And all the greats, all those directors I just mentioned from Herzog and Scorsese, and they all understand it. They're amazing artists, but they understand the business of it. They do. And you know why? Because you respect the fact it's a business and you keep getting the work. You keep getting the opportunity to make more. It's not a hobby. It can be a hobby. It can be it's expensive that hobby. wonderful. But it's yeah, but then don't then treat it like a hobby. Then make films for fun and enjoy the process and don't worry about the monetization. That's all upside if it happens, but that's not the thing. But The majority of us in this industry live by what we make. We support our families by how we how well we do with our work. And therefore, in the same respect you'd have for a teacher turning up to teach your kids or a doctor going to look at, you know, your thing or a mechanic fixing your car. We are making um, movies. We are making assets that hopefully will entertain wide audiences and that's great, but the aim of the de- the aim for me anyway is to make something for less than you get for when you sell it. That's got to be the aim. That's that's business. That's that's yeah. just business. That's I had a, I had a conver- right? I had I had a conversation with a, a filmmaker at AFM, um, and they 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 ran up to me and they're like, Alex, Alex, I had a I got a deal. I got an MG. I'm like, great. What was your MG? Like, we got $35,000 MG. I'm like, fantastic. What was your budget? He's like, it was $250,000. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. So what rights You're did- You're on the way. You're on the way. What rights did you sell? All of them. Okay. How, how long? Nine years. And they were ecstatic about it. They're like, we, we sold it. We got, I'm like, but that's not, what business in the world does that make sense? Like, that's a, that's a, you're going to, that's-, that's probably- that's a hobby, Alex, but that's the hobby camp. That's the hobby camp. And you know, there's, oh, there's, God. it's hard. It is hard. And you know, what we're in is we're in a, we're in a, in a brutal industry. It costs a lot. The barrier to entry, although technology and cost of production are down, the barrier to entry is high. The competition is, you know, vast. And whilst there arguably has never been a better time to make a movie and get it exploited and distributed because of the likes of Avod, because of the, um, direct distribution channels to an audience, which is amazing and a wonderful opportunity. It's 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 super difficult. It's super hard, and you know, focus on story, building the best version of whatever that story is. Then find the right director and talent that will enhance that project. That doesn't mean it has to be the megastar. It needs to be the right level, and then financing it appropriately to what that package looks like. Now, you did a movie called 47 Meters Down, which I remember when it came out and it exploded. It was like a huge box office hit. 
And it, you know, arguably, I'm a fan of Mandy Moore. I watched This Is Us. I, I love Mandy, but she's not a huge box office star. She's not, you know, she's not, you know, bringing in t- tons of cash. But yet this movie exploded and it was like on a $5 million budget or something like that, if I you read know, correctly. that Tell me the story behind that. Tell me the story behind that. That must have been amazing. So, so um, Mark Lane and James Harris um, came to me with uh, the project. They had already shot a promo with Johannes, the director, that was, you know, a minute and a half visual effects promo of a shark, basically. Sure. And it was brilliant. It was brilliant. And I guess this promo cost them 40 grand, uh, 35 grand, 40 grand. And they had uh, got this amazing visual effects house in the UK, in, in, in Bournemouth, that were new and hungry. And they put this together and they went to Cannes or Berlin and they pre-sold the movie by about two and a half million straight away. And then off of a shark engine, the Weinstein's bought it for a million off a promo and a script and a director. That's it. No talent at this right. stage. Right. And so they were looking to find a way to finance the film. And, uh, you know, as was the kind of focus of me, you know, what I was doing back then, lending against these pre-sale distribution contracts, a UK tax credit, and then putting up some, if you like, gap or equity against the rest of the world felt like a smart play given the amazing uh, work that the pre and altitude uh, were the film sales agent. They were, they did a terrific job. Terrific job off this promo, and so we 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 uh, we made a deal. We we worked with them to finance the movie and produce the film, and they executed a terrific movie. And I would say that at the time, you know, um, Bob um, Weinstein would you know feedback his notes, and everyone was looking good about a, a big theatrical release. And then we got to finishing the movie, and I remember we were in Cannes. We screened it for them um, privately as we did to some of the buyers and they turned around and said, no, we're not going to release it. It's going to go straight to DVD. And we were bummed. We thought we had a great movie. We obviously were, you know, not, not relying, but really hopeful that the theatrical release would really give us the, the, the upside we, we all were, were, were counting on. And so we managed to negotiate a deal where we could buy back the rights from North America. And by the way, they were phenomenal uh, at the time. Bob. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. The notes he gave, the, the, they invested more money to do reshoots. We made a great move, but they just decided it wasn't going to get a release. So we managed to have a window of time to rebuy the movie by repaying their investment and their MG um, and a little uplift, a significant uplift. But the condition was we couldn't sell to any of their competitors. That's a really, I mean, so, that's it. so no studio, no uh, what they got as a competitor, no Lionsgate, none of that. So we ended up having to have a very narrow pool of almost independent distributors, smaller distributors. And we did a screening. And amazingly, we managed to get the attention of Byron Allen. Mm-hmm. Um, and he and his team there just jumped on it. They loved it. They saw the potential of this film. And in a, in a, but the Weinsteins decided that they were always going to release the movie. 
um, on a certain date. And we had till that date to, to buy it back. And the thing was dragging. We got to release day and the DVD dropped. It was in Target. It was in Walmart. It was everywhere. On the day we dropped the movie, we bought the movie back. Byron went with a check down the beach and gave a check, got the deal done. We recalled the movie five hours later off the shelves and then rebuilt the whole movie up a year later to do the theatrical release. Wow. It was one of the most crazy experiences I've ever been involved with, right. the stress uh, and the excitement. And then Byron and his team did an unbelievable job. They put up a stupid amount of PA money for a tiny little movie. They went everywhere and he went nuts. And, you know, we also had the benefit in that year that This Is Us dropped. Mandy Moore suddenly, who was always a great actress, but suddenly yeah. became a star overnight, like within the year while we were messing around with all this stuff. And that helped us a lot. And, um, Claire Holt as well. I mean, we, we just had an amazing, amazing achievement. And Johannes did a phenomenal job, went on to make a sequel. Um, it was just one of those amazing stories. But it came together really by the, um, the smart approach that the filmmakers took to make a 35, 30, 40 grand promo of a minute and a half of a shark that looked amazing, that, that just basically pitched this story and managed to pre-sell the movie off the back of it with no talent. That's insane. Significant pre-sales. Yeah. And, 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 and actually, it's an amazing opportunity that if you have you know, the right kind of genre, the right kind of movie, it can be a fantastic strategy to raise $5 million, $7 million for a movie off the back of a killer promo, a killer trailer. And actually, so that small seed investment to really create a sizzle to then go and uh, to go and sell it in the market can be a fantastic solution. But um, an amazing story. That's an, a rate. That's like that's a, a like a lottery ticket. When we had to call people that legitimately bought the DVD in Target and tell them they had to send it back to us. How did really? Because we were, we were called every DVD because it was uh, and it wasn't called uh, Forty Seven Meters Down. It was called uh, in uh, Into the Deep. They called it. Okay. Um, and so um, we had to recall every DVD. We were getting piracy things going everywhere. We had to recall all that. We had a year of, with all of this story, it was, it was amazing. But, you know, to what the credit. What an amazing story. What an amazing, that, that's not happening. There's nothing like that happens. And I, someone sent me, I don't even know if I've got one here. I, I mean, I'd love to, I don't know where I've got it, but literally you go into a tie, you could have bought it off the shelf legitimately in the morning. By the afternoon, it was gone. <laughs> Many year later, you see the cinema. It was fun. That's amazing. Uh, now, I want to ask you a few. Uh, I want to ask you a few questions. I ask all my guests. Um, what advice would you give a filmmaker trying to break into the business today? Don't do it. Go and do I mean, something. Just, else. I mean, be an accountant. Be an accountant. Go bake a cookie. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, just, um, I, I, I've drummed on this a lot today, but story is the star. Focus on story build the best version of whatever it is, spend the time in script, spend the time in really, really believing in what you're making and make sure that when you do get the opportunity and you do get in front of that actor, don't blow it. <laughs> be prepared. Research. Be prepared. 
Okay. And what is the lesson that took you the longest to learn, whether in the film business or in life? I would say that um, happiness is not the destination, but the journey. Amen. And I think I struggled for many years in the destination and trying to get that happiness and that hit and that adrenaline. But actually, you look back over your shoulder, and we talked a bit about some of the experiences today, but that's the joy. The journey is the joy. So enjoy the ride, enjoy the journey, enjoy the no's, enjoy the yeses, and, um, and um, you know, <laughs> the success comes from the journey and not arriving at the destination. And three of your favorite films of all time. Oh, <laughs> this is your podcast. And here I am, here I am not knowing what to say. Um, the Station Agent. Yeah, great movie. Great movie. Great movie. Um, I would say, um, uh, I mean, I love some of The Rock. I would say is I one of my favorite all-time action movies. Can, can we can we stop there for a second? I, I I've said this before and I'll say it again. Whether you like Michael Bay or not, Michael Bay changed the way action films are made. Just 100%. like just like Tony Scott did when Tony Scott showed up. Before Tony Scott and there's after Tony Scott. Before Michael Bay and after Michael Bay. Before the Matrix and after the Matrix. There are certain yeah. movies that change the way they yeah. do it. The Rock he he touch he touches it in Bad Boys, but The Rock is the film and, that and it's yeah, my favorite um, my favorite the definitive action movie of my youth of, oh. you know made me love action movies the way I, I, I love them and it's a solid story and it's amazing solid. action and the lines and, oh. and just the relationship oh, between Sean Connery and if and if you want a little bit more cheese you can go watch Armageddon which I also enjoy but at a different level <laughs> All right, and your third uh, one. Um, most recently, I think you know I loved uh, Parasite as well. Yeah, in recent great. recent uh, recent years. But yeah, I mean, I love movies. I love all films. I mean, I like bad movies. I like good movies. I just love that ex uh, the escapism of our craft. Did you Did you see the room? You've seen the room, right? Of course, of course, the room. I right? love the room, yeah. the room is, 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 is a genius film. Uh, and, uh, everyone listening to the podcast knows I'm a, just a fanatic of, of the room and of Tommy Wiseau and everything that that movie has done. But, um, but did you see it by yourself or did you see it with other people? Cause I, I don't, I'm probably other people. Yeah. Because I, I, that's a movie you can't watch by yourself. You need to watch it with a group, especially if you're a filmmaker to, with a group of filmmakers. I saw it with a group of filmmakers at Sundance one night in, in a loft while we were shooting my movie there. And no one, really? no one on the crew had seen it except for me. I'm like, oh, we're getting it tonight and we're all watching it. And everyone's just sitting there going, is he using the same stock footage shot twice? Why, why is he humping her, her, her stomach? What's going on? Like, it's, there's so much going on in that movie. It is so brilliantly bad. Um, what, are your, what are your top three? Is that one of them? No, well, I mean, as, as, it's the it's the best I worst mo it's the best worst movie I've ever seen. Um, I just you just enjoy it. There's I always tell people this. I'm like, there's bad, and then there's bad that transcends good. So it gets so bad that it is good, and it and you can't you can't go after that. 
It happens naturally. You can't make a bad movie and hope that people will love it because the intention is wrong. The reason why The Room is beloved by millions around the world is because Tommy Wiseau was trying to make the greatest film of all time. That is why it is so brilliant. But when you try to make a cult film or a bad movie, people understand you're never going to do it. But the, because there was such sincerity in the making of it, and it's like, I can't, don't get me started. I'm only seeing is lines and scenes flying oh. into, into my head. That's the brilliance Breaking of it. Up a bit, oh, yeah. you there? Sorry, sorry. Yeah, I'm back. I'm back. You're back. So um, for me, I always, I always, my favorites are, I, I always say, um, the three that I could just throw off the top. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Today, Shawshank, um, Fight Club, uh, and The Matrix. I mean, those are, I mean, they just they, they work. And and of course, The Godfather, and of course, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and of course, Jaws, and, yeah. and of course, uh, you know, Taxi Driver, and of course, all these other amazing films. But those are the three that like they're remote control thrower ways. Like if if you're watching something, you're like, oh, it's on, gone. I have to just I just have to watch it, you know. But and I love those sort of movies where no matter where you land in them, you immediately pick up, can pick them up like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah and Fight Club and Time. Time. Time, timeless, timeless, and of course everything Kubrick almost, and what was anything Kubrick made. Um, just I'm a huge ridiculous Kubrick fan. Uh, one day I'll make the pilgrimage to uh, to England to the archives there at the school and um, um, we'll take you to a football <laughs> game. You know we can you know. I can't wait. Now, can you tell people where they can find out more about Purely Capital? Um, Amazingly, purely.capital. It's just all in the title. (laughs) Um, So find us on Purely and all your social medias. But by all means, um, you know, check us out, purely.capital. Um, and if you have any long dated contracted revenues, we will happily let you get them sooner. Um, And um, Anyone got, uh, you know, any ideas about how to improve uh, the um, lack of transparency around our industry? We're also excited to hear about those sorts of ideas so we can try and help build products that will give you those tools. Wayne, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you, man. And thank you so much for coming on the show. And I I hope this episode uh, helps a few people. We've thrown out a lot of information and a lot of information I'm sure you would have liked to have known 20 years ago. And I definitely would have liked to know 20 years ago. You know what? The best thing, you know, to look at today is that we are in, um, you know, an established industry that is still finding its feet and changing today. And that's what's amazing, you know, and tomorrow will be different. So Mm -hmm. just um, just just keep hustling. Right. Amen, brother. Thank you, bro. Thank you for having me. I want to thank Wayne for coming on the show and dropping his knowledge bombs on the tribe today. Thank you again so much, Wayne. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at bulletproofscreenwriting.tv forward slash 311. And if you haven't already, please, please, please head over to screenwritingpodcast.com, subscribe and leave a good review for the show, or subscribe and leave a review for the show wherever you are listening to this podcast. It truly, truly helps us out a lot in getting this information out to more and more screenwriters, creatives, and filmmakers. Thank you again so much for listening. As always, keep on writing no matter what. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast at bulletproofscreenwriting.tv. 